This is the Evangelical Church of Bermuda's weekly sermon podcast. Thank you for joining us. Here is this week's sermon. Um, Let's just look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so grateful that we can come into your house to worship you this morning, Lord. We're so thankful, Lord, that you chose to spare our lives yet another week, Lord. how appreciative we are, and we love you for that, Father. We, um, Father, we're thankful that we can come and approach your throne. Heavenly Father, with our prayers, Lord, we, we go before those in our membership, Father, that are suffering right now for whatever reasons, Lord. We're not sure of all of them, but, Father, we knew, do know of some. And, Father, we ask that you'd go before these people, Lord, that their faith and trust in these issues, Lord, might be put before you, Lord, that they might trust you for all. Lord, we know that you do all things well, and Father, so we just ask that you to just go before these folks, Lord, whether it's in healing, mentally, physically, whatever it might be, Lord, we just pray that you'd go before them. Father, we thank you that as a church we can come and celebrate your table, Lord, for what you did on the cross, sending your son to die in our place, Heavenly Father, to give us um, salvation through him. So, Father, we just thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to recognize this, Lord, what you have done for us. Um, Lord, as a church, I pray that you'd go before us in our community, Lord. Help us to be that light, um, Father, that people would see you through us, Heavenly Father, that um, we might recognize needs outside of these four walls, Lord, and as they arise, Heavenly Father, that um, and brighten us with them, Lord, that we might take this opportunity to serve you in this way, Lord, of helping others, which is what you command us to do. So we pray, Father, that you'd go before us. I thank you, Lord, for Pastor Paul, and Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the work that he's put in this week, Lord, to study your word so that he can bring it to us. Lord, open our hearts wide. Just uh, expand our minds, Heavenly Father. We might be able to absorb what you want to teach us this morning. It's all in your name we pray. Amen. Cool. Will you come and read scripture? Thank you. Morning, church. Matthew 12, verse 22 to 37. Then a demon-oppressed man was blind and mute, was blind and mute, was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard, heard it, they said, It is only by, by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid, laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will this kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his, his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he, he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brutal vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure 
brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. All right, it's all good. At this point in, in Matthew's gospel, we are, now this is just an estimate, we're probably about a year into his public ministry. And this is why opposition, another, another reason why opposition is mounting against him. He's, he's not some flash-in-the-pan, wannabe Messiah who's stirring up a small mob and then, and then kind of vanishes. He's, he's like no other Jew that the Jewish people have ever seen or heard. The account in this passage is not immediately after the last account, okay, which, which was uh, when we looked at the Jesus withdrawing from the crowds, if you remember, and, and then we, we see Matthew putting a little uh, thing about the prophecy, uh, the first one of the suffering servant in, in Isaiah's um, prophecy. And we know this, right? We know it's not right afterwards. It's not just one event to the another, but there's some kind of a gap there because if you look at the narrative, the Pharisees are back on the scene again. Okay, so he withdrew, but now he's back in sort of public life, and the Pharisees are there. Some of you might be wondering, you know, wh why are you telling us all this? <laughs> is this important? Yes, this is important. It's important because I, I, I want you to be able to pick up the keys to what's going on in God's word. I, we shouldn't just be spoon-fed. Right, as, as Christians, we should, be able to, we should be able to take our knife and fork and the word of God and to be able to, to, be able to cut it rightly and digest it correctly. Okay, so it's, it's, it's important to understand and, and know these things. And that's why I explained to you why, uh, why it is that these events aren't back to back and how you can tell and why that's important. Commercial over. This, this narrative here that sets up the dialogue that follows, mostly from Jesus, is very short. Let, let me read it to you in verse 22. Matthew 12, 22. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. So Jesus heals this man by casting out the demon and this, this prompts a reaction uh, from, from the crowd. Verse 23. This is the reaction. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? That term, son of David, goes back to the prophecy of Nathan, the prophet, to King David. That one of his descendants would be a king forever. If you want to make a reference, you can put 2 Samuel chapter 7. 
the question, can this be the son of David, still implies some uncertainty from, from the people because they have a hard time equating the Messiah with the suffering servant that we looked at last week. With the crowd on the fence, we're going to see how the Pharisees respond to the crowd's question, and more importantly, how Jesus responds to them. So here's our outline that shows this next opposition to Jesus and how he handles it. The big lie, the logical answer, and the unforgivable sin. I know you're all waiting for that third one. But let's start with the first, the big lie. Verse 24. This, this, it's only one verse. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. And, and this, uh, this point and, and the wording, the big lie, is not original. I've borrowed it from um, James Montgomery Boyce's commentary. And who, who others have borrowed from his as well. So I feel like it's okay. Here is the Pharisees' reaction to the crowds pondering about Jesus' messiahship. Verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. This claim has already been raised by the Pharisees once before in Matthew 9, if you want to make reference to it. Matthew 9, 34. It was the same kind of a thing. Jesus casts out a demon from a man who was mute. The crowds were amazed there as well back in Matthew 9, saying never was anything like this seen in Israel. So this was not the first time the Pharisees said this about Jesus' power, that it was attributed to Beelzebul, the prince of demons. So we can be confident that this was probably something that they most likely repeated to amazed crowds or inquiring people regarding who Jesus was and his mighty works. Now this is a pretty outrageous claim. The man who is a one-of-a-kind teacher, healer, and exorcist is really on Satan's side. This is the big lie, and it can be powerful if you tell it often enough to people, because eventually they'll believe it. One classic example of, of the big lie, the use of the big lie, is Nero, who blamed the Christians for the fire that destroyed Rome. There was no proof of uh, that, that the Christians had done this, but it became widely believed that they were responsible and caused massive persecution to Christians. The big lie strategy is still in use today. Such claims like Jesus never existed they're touted as fact. 
and yet stand in glaring contrast to the solid historical reliability of the New Testament. We have to guard against the big lies today because they're even more influential today because they get picked up by Hollywood and they get drilled at us from different angles until they become part of the cultural fabric. I bet you can come up with one or two examples. Let's turn to Jesus' response to the Pharisees' big lie. And our second point, the logical answer. Jesus breaks up this answer into two parts, a divided house and a strong man. So let's look at the divided house first. Verses 25 and 26. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Jesus' argument is very logical here. Just think, if you have a strong objection about the way that the company that you work for is operating, you'll, you'll probably not last long in that company because of that division. Right? Either, either one of two things will happen. Either the company will change or you will leave. Okay? But it's not going to promote growth. For the prince of demons to cast out other demons goes against how the kingdom of darkness wants to advance. It's that simple. We often believe too quickly, the big lie. And so Jesus is, is pumping the brakes and helping people to see the fallacy of the Pharisees' explanation of his power. And Jesus doesn't stop there. Verse 27, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. So apparently some of the Pharisees' disciples, followers, or those in their community are, are casting out demons as well. And Jesus brings this up because obviously they believe that their disciples are performing exorcists by God's power. And if that's the case, how can they condemn Jesus for the same work that their disciples are doing? See, he's helping the crowd to see that there's a big lie and a strong bias, and he's trying to, and he's showing them that it's there because they're trying to, the Pharisees, protect their authority. Authority has become more important than truth for these religious leaders. Sadly, that can happen in churches as well. Authority can be a dangerous thing if we don't wield it like Jesus. Jesus is powerful and has authority over all, yet he is gentle and lowly, humble. 
if the spirit of Christ is in us and we are yielding to that spirit, authority will not become an idol like it did to the Pharisees. But don't think I'm just talking about Christian leaders. I'm talking about anyone with authority, teachers, government officials, business owners, managers, foremen, as well as right in the home, husbands and parents. Jesus helps the crowd to look at it, look at it another way. And now he gives another picture of a strong man. Verse 29. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. So Jesus is showing what, caught, what, what casting out a demon is actually like. Like, if a, if a demon is oppressing someone, it has taken over that person. That demon is like a strong man who forces his way into that someone's house and is now in charge. And Jesus is showing that by casting out demons, he is stronger than Satan and his demons. You need to know that the devil and his demons are real. And they are powerful by Jesus' own example here of a strong man. Martin Luther realized this in one of my favorite hymns, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He makes reference to the power of the demonic, and he doesn't diminish it. He says his craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. You, you, you're not more powerful than a demon. But Jesus can bind the strong man and take back what that strong man has taken. The, the devil is still at work today. But if you're in Christ, you, you cannot be demon oppressed. But he can still mess around with you. So don't ignore him, but also don't give him too much credit. Both extremes aren't good. Between this two-part answer of a divided house and a strong man is Jesus' big answer to the big lie. Verse 28. But, it, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus has logically proved that it is not demonic power that he operates from, but God's power. And if that is the case, then he says the kingdom of God has come. This is the answer to the crowd's question. Can this be the son of David? Yes. Yes. The kingdom has come because the king has come, and his name is Jesus. He's right before them. The last point will take up the majority of our text and time, the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin, or sometimes referred to as the unpardonable sin, has long been a source 
of interest and concern within the church. Many people have wondered if they have committed that sin. Even such spiritual giants as John Bunyan, author of Pilgrim's Progress, wrestled with this. Let's start with verse 30. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus says that you can't sit on the fence forever like the crowd is doing with their query, can this be the son of David? Remember, if it's already been a year and they're still kind of thinking about this, right? they're, they're on the fence and they've been there a while. You have to make a decision and to sit on the fence indefinitely is a decision in itself. Maybe that characterizes you. You've been sitting on the fence, hesitant to make a decision and submit to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you continue in that neutral position toward God, you are against Jesus. Eventually you'll fall off the fence and it won't be on the side of Jesus if it's the other side of eternity. Jesus continues the thought from that statement in verse 31. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. So look at, look at the first part of that sentence. We, 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 need to not, we need to dwell on it because... Well, we tend not to dwell on it, actually, because of the second part. We just kind of jump to the second part. Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, there's a sin that can't be forgiven? It's kind of shocking, and so it doesn't allow us to really sit there and say, oh, let me just think about this for a second, that there is forgiveness available for every sin and blasphemy. That's good news. Maybe you're wondering what blasphemy is. Blasphemy can be speaking against God or attributing yourself to yourself what is only God's, like the ability to forgive sins. But blasphemy can also, can also just mean slander or disrespect. The point is that that forgiveness is available and it seems like it's limitless. It's great. You, You can be the worst person on the planet and receive forgiveness from God. But even if you're not the worst person on the planet, and maybe you're even better than most, you still need forgiveness because all have sinned. And because all have sinned, all need forgiveness. Then we have the second part that everybody focuses on. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. So what what is that? What, What is blasphemy against the Spirit? Well, let's read the next verse as it adds a little more 
to this and kind of completes this whole section. Verse 32. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Again, the, the statement about forgiveness is astounding. We don't, we don't want to just brush by that. The, the Son of Man is Jesus' favorite title for himself. Anything said against Jesus can be forgiven. This, this is not insignificant. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Yet in his gentleness, he does not take offense to things said against him. And forgiveness is possible. He extends it. Th think about when someone sins against you. You might take great offense, right? Or if your child disrespects you, you might rise up in indignation and say, how dare you speak to me like that? <laughs> the most disrespectful people can draw near to Jesus because he is accessible and offers forgiveness to the vilest offenders and slanderers. Even when the people commit uh, completely rejected Jesus and he was tried unjustly beaten spat upon mocked and crucified before he died on that cross he responded father forgive them they know not what they do now I know what you're thinking yes but what is the sin Tell us what the sin is. I, I, I don't think this sin is a specific sin that you can label like murder or adultery. I believe it's more like an attitude that you can develop. I believe that because the Bible teaches that if you put your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, they will be forgiven. There's no, there's no clause or exception under that. There's no footnote, see bottom below. But if you happen to have committed the blasphemy of the Spirit, sorry. Right, there's no exceptions for special sins that cannot be forgiven. Even look how it's worded in verse 31. It, it, that's, it's important. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, it says. Why do, if there's only if there's this one magical sin that, that just condemns you with, without any hope, why, why doesn't it say almost every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven? Or just about every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven? Or all but one sin and blasphemy will be forgiven? It doesn't say that, does it? To, to understand what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, we must turn to the context of our passage first. Okay, now here, here's where, again, we, we learn together how to take God's word and rightly divide it. Okay? Immediate context, most important for the passage that you're looking at. 
Jesus says he casts out demons by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, in verse 27. The Pharisees are saying that power is not the Holy Spirit, but the devil. Now, Jesus does not accuse them of committing this unpardonable sin. He simply makes them aware of it, and he does so because, obviously, they must be on a dangerous road toward this attitude. Now that we've looked at the immediate context, we can look at other related passages in the Bible to help us. The best interpreter of the Bible is the Bible. The first that seems closely related is found in Hebrews chapter 6. And it's a long section, so I've just chosen verses 4 to 6. For it is impossible in the case of those who have, been, who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. So here, in this passage, the author of Hebrews is saying that there are those who are in the church and I don't believe these people have made a, a profession of Christ as Savior and Lord. And these people have heard of salvation through the preaching of the Bible and have been prompted by the Holy Spirit to repent, but have resisted. There comes a time, it seems, that that person can no longer seek repentance. You need repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Without repentance, there is no forgiveness of sins. So they can't be restored to repentance. It doesn't say forgiveness. It says repentance. There's an inability to repent now. The best illustration of this in the Bible is Esau from Genesis, who willingly and carelessly sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. The author of Hebrews makes commentary on this as well. Verse 15 of Hebrews 12. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. It doesn't say that he didn't find, couldn't find forgiveness. It said he couldn't find repentance. And without repentance, there's no forgiveness of sins. 
Esau despised the birthright God had given him, but wanted the blessing that was promised through it. He was sorrowful, but was unable to repent. So let's, let's put this all together. All sin can be forgiven, but only through repentance from sin toward Jesus as Savior and Lord. If repentance cannot happen, neither can forgiveness. If we have never come to Christ through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, we can become hardened to the Spirit's conviction and therefore unable to repent. What is most interesting about this state is that Jesus is warning the religious leaders here, not the crowd in general. These are the ones who are most in danger of becoming like Esau, being unable to repent, and, and therefore not being able to be forgiven. The, the final section tells us how we can see if we fall into this dangerous category, like, like the Pharisees who seem to be on that road. If you've been in church for a while and maybe your belief in Jesus is casual. Yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. And nothing is changing in your heart, in your life. And you act like the rest of the world and you talk like the rest of the world. You have to ask, why? Why? It's, it's, it's never because you're not trying hard enough. Don't believe that lie. Maybe you've never believed and confessed Jesus as Lord. As the Apostle Paul makes clear in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Only those words of faith can justify you and then change you from the inside out. All other words in comparison are, are careless or idle, like that last passage says. They have no power to work, like, like confessing Jesus has power to work. They only have power to condemn. If, if the spirit, is the spirit, is the spirit convicting you with the evidence of Jesus that he is the only way and that you must repent and turn to him? Don't keep ignoring that call. For who knows how long it will graciously remain so that you are able to repent and be saved. And if you are in Christ, 
truly in Christ, you can't commit this sin. You may fall badly or struggle with your faith, but you will always be forgiven and held fast, secure by Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, a difficult and sobering passage we've looked at, but an important one. We don't want to neglect any of your word. We want the whole counsel of God. And so thank you for, for the realities that we looked at here, the, the, these absolute truths. May we grab onto them and, and in, our, in our salvation, may we rejoice in them. Forgiveness is available to all who will confess and believe. Father, help the one who is being convicted by the Holy Spirit to repent, to turn from their ways to Jesus as the only way. Lord, help them to see that resisting that may lead them to a point of not being able to repent like Esau, even though he sought it with tears. Father, work in hearts as only you can. And may we, may we who are in Christ rest securely, confidently in Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, check out our website at ecb.bm. Join us again next week for our next podcast. Thank you.